God dwell with an unholy people? How is it that you and I can get into God's presence when he is perfect and above us in every single way and we're just not? And uh, you, when you see the film, so they, you know, they, the mission, whatever the impossible mission is, when they have to break into something, steal something, get some secret, because there's some elaborate plan to enable people to accomplish the mission. And uh, in this passage in Leviticus we're about to look at, God gives uh, his people, in many ways, an elaborate plan to enable them to be clean before him, to be holy. So... Uh, so this is the third talk. We're still in the book of Leviticus. A- again, if you've been around the past few weeks, you would have seen uh, this already. This is my little uh, simple timeline here of Leviticus. It's not the best-known book in the Bible. It's not one of the most well-read. It is one of the very early ones. So the Bible is split into Old and New Testament. So Old Testament is before Jesus. New Testament is when Jesus is born. Uh, writes about his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension to heaven, and then the church after. So Leviticus, as you can see, and that sort of rough picture there, one of the very early books, the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, is about uh, three and a half thousand years old, and it contains a lot of rules and rituals for the Israelite people uh, for how they're to relate to God as they're going through the wilderness and looking to go into the promised land. Moses, a name that most of you will have heard of, no doubt, he is leading them at this time. And uh, in the book of Leviticus, in the past two uh, talks that we looked at, we looked at some of the odd rules and laws that they have to live by. Why uh, what they eat matters, about whether they're going to be clean before God, or even their s- condition of their skin, as we looked at last week. And it the way that Leviticus portrays something of God's holiness is that it's very, very hard to get in his presence, to be clean, to be holy. So you can be unclean through contact with the death, through food as mentioned, disease, through childbirth, through sex. Just about the whole of life can run you into trouble with then trying to come before God. It really is a difficult thing to be before him. And yet God was dwelling in the midst of the, the camp. And there was a place called the Tabernacle, and uh, we'll see more of it in a second as we go on the Ark of the Covenant, God's promises, was where God dwelt in the middle of the camp, the Israelites. And yet they were almost, if you like, in constant danger because of that. And although lots of Leviticus is quite obscure, very hard to understand, the passage we're going to be looking at, Leviticus 16, and we're going to go through virtually all the passage in sort of some verses by verses, is in many ways the pinnacle, the centerpiece of the book. Uh, and for many of you, if you've been a Christian a while and know bits of your Bible, as we go through it, you will see how so much of this so wonderfully and beautifully points towards what Jesus has done for us and gives us just an amazing picture, a forward look when we were no longer having to be living in a camp and going through all those rituals, but we know that Jesus would have accomplished what he accomplished on the cross for us. And the Day of Atonement in particular uh, looks forward to that and points towards that and is a great illustration of it. So we're going to go through the passage. I'm going to sort of draw out bits of the passage and bits about Jesus through it. And right at the end, we'll just sum up and look at what does that mean for you and what does that mean for us as a church. So, um, oh, thank you. So, this is Leviticus 16, uh, 
chapter 16, verses 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. We're going to talk a little bit about the most holy place and the atonement cover in a second uh, to explain that. But So this passage is rooted in a little bit of history. It's what's just happened. This is in uh, Leviticus chapter uh, 10 uh, that... Um, Aaron, let me say a quick bit about him, Moses' brother, you can see, he is the high priest. He's the high priest for the Israelite people. Uh, and in many ways, in theory, the holiest person in the camp. He's the top bod. He's the one that mediates between God uh, and everyone else. And all his sons are also priests. And two of his sons went to minister before God at the, the tabernacle, uh, the holy place, etc. We'll look at that, like I said. Uh, and they did it wrong. They approached God, and the verses say, with unauthorized fire. And uh, like I said, it's a hard thing. It's like the impossible mission to come before God. And God was not happy with the way they did it, and he struck them down dead. So this is like a real-life problem. Not quite our life in that sense, but this is a real-life problem for people. If like, How do we come before God? So God comes up with a plan. And this plan we sort of often call day, the Day of Atonement, or the Jews still call it, it's uh, Yom Kippur. They still, Jews still celebrate that um, a, as Jews, what this uh, the ritual that he goes on to outline. So this is how, verse uh, 3, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body, he is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. All the offerings come up a bit later, the animals that are sacrificed and the bloods that spilled. But a bit that I just want to highlight here is Aaron himself, the high priest, has to particularly prepare himself for doing this, as you'll see, once a year, big ritual for the Israelite community. So he washes himself and he puts on special clothes. Now what's fascinating about here, like I said, Aaron is the high priest. He is the top guy in the camp. In He's the holy man. He's the one that mediates between uh, the people and God. And he has a uniform for the job. And you can read about it in Exodus and they describe it. And it's very ornate. And in many respects, it means he dresses like a king. Okay, he's got a big breastplate with precious jewels on it. He's got nice sash and turban and everything. And he's like he's kingly. He's like the, he's the top guy, ministers before the people. There's the guy. There's our high priest. But in this, the Day of Atonement, this once-year ritual that he has to prefer, uh, perform, he doesn't put on his gear. He doesn't even put on gear that the rest of the priests wore. He's not even at that level. Now, the dress that's described here is dressing like a slave. See, before the people, he's the high priest. But before God, it's like he's just got to come humble before him. And already, I think this is a fantastic picture of Jesus, the King of Kings, the one who left the glory of heaven and came to earth to make himself a servant, 
not to impress us all with his kingly attributes and his great power, though power, of course, did flow for him, but ultimately to serve, to wash feet, and to give his life as a ransom. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. The atonement is made not through great show of power and strength, but humility and service. And this is sort of personified even in the way Aaron has to dress uh, on this particular day. There's a few more verses here. We're going to skim over these really quickly, but I didn't want to skip some of the story. So uh, from verse 6, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats, this is all mentioned in the verses before, and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he's to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Now, all of this sort of comes up again a bit later, and we'll make more further comments on it there. Uh, but if I skipped it, there'd be gaps missing. So in particular, please note the scapegoat, which, one's the last, which is one of actually the last bits of the ritual, uh, and again is uh, an amazing thing to think about for ourselves and our own life and what Jesus has done. So moving on, it then goes, uh, so this is Aaron. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. So here we have described... So if we just go back one. Here we have described finally Aaron entering into a place called the Most Holy Place, described as going behind the curtain. Now, jumping ahead again, nobody's allowed here except at this moment once a year. If you do, you're struck down dead, according to all the Leviticus instructions, kind of what happened to his sons. And even though it's God's or sort of ordained ritual, this is what we want to do, it's like he emphasises the, uh, the holy moment of it, by Aaron having to do this thing with the censers and the fragrance, and fragrance of the Bible often represents sort of prayers and ascending before God, is he has to go in and the smoke, it says the smoke would fill it, the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover. Now, this is the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments in it. It is like the most holy thing going, as it were, where God's presence is said to reside and the atonement cover kind of covering it, and it's in the... Uh, and we'll, so we'll skip to the diagram, very simple diagram. It's in the most holy place, hidden behind a curtain. And even as Aaron goes in there to make atonement for it with all the sacrifice you'll see, he's got to take this holy incense and cover the area. With it. It's like you can't look at this. It's got to be covered. It's like if he walks in bold as brass, staring at the very presence of God, and again, he's going to get struck down dead. It seems he's got to almost be hidden from the full glory of God. So it's just a picture. It's like it's so hard to come to God. The sense of his holiness compared to our life comes through time and time again. We're so, you know, we love God, don't we? You know he loves us. Yet he is this holy, awesome, fiery God. 
And of course, clearly things have changed for us than Leviticus days. But for us to feel again, as I spoke last week, something of the awe we should feel of God. No doubt Aaron, when he's doing this, is in awe uh, of what's going on. As he steps into this place, he's only allowed in once a year because it is most holy. So uh, again, as we go through this diagram, very simple, helps picture some of the rituals described in the passages. So the most holy place, uh, which is where you can only get to, only if you're the high priest, only once a year on the Day of Atonement, and you'll see blood is sprinkled as we come in on the atonement cover and just in front of the curtain and the veil. Uh, in the holy place, where even not all sacrifices, only some sacrifices went, those were called purification offerings, or your Bible might say sin offerings. They involve lots of blood, lots of sprinkling of blood. Some of them might make it from outside the altar burnt offering, inside, but they would never ever get here except on this once a day ritual. So, And you'll see that what's going to happen is he's going to work his way out from the most holy place, going outwards into the holy place, sprinkling stuff with blood on the incense altar and out to the, uh, the bigger altar, the burnt offering, where all the sacrifices would have happened. So that's just a quick uh, picture of what's going on. Um, but <laughs> one of the things it shows, shows us what happened in the Bible, a great picture that uh, when Jesus actually died on the cross and he cried out with a low, loud voice, and I think Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, there's this, this great picture of what happens to the veil. Now the whole tent tabernacle thing has now become a full-blown temple uh, by Jesus' day, but still it's essentially exactly the same thing. And there was a veil that cut people off, like the veil here does, from the most holy place, from God's presence. You can't just waltz in to his presence. You've got to even be protected from him. And they would still have been practicing the Day of Atonement as Jews in those days, and the, the once this, once ritual. And when Jesus died on the cross and cried out in a loud voice, a couple of gospel accounts tell us that the veil was torn from top to bottom. And it's just this immensely powerful picture that Jesus has opened the way for us to come into the presence. No longer is the curtain there for us. No longer is the most holy place in God's presence uh, just distant from us. Jesus brings it close. His death makes the difference. Uh, and we'll go through again and again. Better than all the sacrifices that Aaron's got to perform, Jesus' sacrifice really tears open the veil, really allows us to come to his presence. And it wasn't torn from bottom to top, as if man suddenly managed to yank out like that. No, it gets torn from top to bottom. God has done it. God has made a way. We don't need that sense of that kind of protection anymore. Jesus has done it. We can know God. So moving on. So this is um, Aaron's first bit of sacrifice for himself. He is, so Aaron, he is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it in front of the atonement cover. So it's right on the most holy thing. Then he should sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times uh, before the atonement cover. So some on it, it all gets very complicated. So one blip on it and then seven times blip, 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 uh, in front of it. So... So blood is very important in the whole sacrificial system. Obviously, blood shows, it cleanses. The whole picture is blood cleanses. It shows that a sacrifice has been made, that a cost has been paid for the uncleanness, for the sin of the Israelites. There's a punishment due. There's something needs to happen. Okay, and, and sacrifice was all through the Israelite system. And of course, all pointing towards Jesus, his sacrifice. So, uh, so blood... It's very important. But uh, also, Aaron had to sacrifice for himself. 
And one of the, before we can then do the sacrifices on behalf of all the Israelite people for, if you like, the whole of the Day of Atonement. And, and the Bible makes mention this in a few places. And in Hebrews 7, says, unlike the other high priests, he, this time it's speaking of Jesus, this is a New Testament book, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The priest of the Day of Atonement was the biggie, but the priests and the people offering sacrifices all, like every day, there was something you needed to have a sacrifice for. In this, in, as the book of Leviticus tells you, the people are in the wilderness. And the priests had to offer them for themselves. And even Aaron, the most holy priest, the high priest, has to, before he can do anything on behalf of others, has to get his own sin dealt with. It's just not a perfect system. This is just not getting you fully into the presence of God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is our true high priest. It's one of the descriptions the Bible gives him. He's our high priest. And he offered himself, not anything else. But he never needed to offer any sacrifice for his own sin because he never sinned. He is perfect in every way. He is God. And so he was able to be sacrificed for sins once for all because it was the perfect sacrifice. And then his blood accomplishes so much more than the blood of animals. So uh, again, Aaron's offering the blood of bull in this case, and then a bit later on in this book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. This is describing the stuff from Leviticus. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, because he's perfect, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Although it's like the big moment in this book, the New Testament reveals is it's all outwards. It's all just an external thing. Of course, the blood of cows and bulls and goats can never really make a difference to our lives, can never really cleanse our sin and our dirt before God. It's just outward and ceremonial. It's a picture. It's symbolic. But Jesus, the high priest who never had to offer anything for his own sin and his perfect, was the perfect sacrifice too. And his blood, as you come to him and accept what he's done for you on the cross, really does make us clean. Totally cleanses from the inside out so that we can come before God. So that it's no longer an impossible mission for us. Okay, so we're back to Leviticus. And Aaron next, he then shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is, um, sorry, I read that badly. So it will make... Uh, He'll make atonement for them, whatever their sins have been. Full stop, sorry. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And Sorry, I've lost my place. Have I jumped forward too far? Verse 17. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. 
He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on with his finger seven times uh, to cleanse it and consecrate it from uncleanness of the Israelites. I didn't mention the number seven before. That reflects some like a p- it's symbolic, but it's perfection of really achieving something. So here we finally got to the ritual where Aaron is actually now providing sacrifice for the Israelite people. And indeed, we see for the whole uh, camp. It's not just, if you read those verses carefully, it's not just that he's making atonement for the sins of the people. See, all through the year, uh, people have been making sacrifices so that they're forgiven and clean by the sacrifice. And it goes on the altar, it goes on the holy place, it goes on the most holy place. It kind of, it's it's taken by God. It's like he receives the sin. And the Day of Atonement, in that sense, is now cleansing the whole camp. And he, as I say, we saw the diagram, he starts inside at the most holy place and cleanses it and he works outside and he works out again. And it's like the Day of Atonement is to, to clear it all out, to clear the whole thing. Like if you start sweeping somewhere, you obviously sweep outwards, out the door or something. You don't sweep into the corner because all the dirt would still be there. And it's kind of a picture of what Aaron's doing here through all the sacrificial system and the blood and the sprinkling moving slowly out from the innermost place uh, and out to the outside. And the second will come to the scapegoat and the sins are taken out altogether. Again, all of this is a picture. It's just symbolic. But you know, Jesus, what he's done for us, what he's accomplished, isn't just some kind of individual salvation thing. Again, from the book of Hebrews, taking this picture of what was going on for Aaron and the Day of Atonement in Leviticus, says this, It was necessary then for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. That's what we've just been reading about, Day of Atonement. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these, which is, of course, Jesus' sacrifice. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. And this big mystery that suddenly revealed this, uh, the, all the stuff, all the tabernacle there, all the tent and stuff, it was just a copy. It was just a picture. God, it says in other places, God spoke to Moses and said, make it exactly like this. And if you read Exodus... Uh, it's incredibly dull through most of the book. Okay, you think of it as an exciting place when the story of the Israelites came out of the Red Sea and the plagues and everything. It's like rah, brilliant. But most of Exodus in the second half is God speaking to Moses about how the tabernacle should be made and then describing how the tabernacle's made. Exactly the same as God describing it. It's doubled up, it's really dull. But the point is, it's come from God. It's like something, it's a picture symbol, it's a model of what really is from God, what really needs to happen to make everything good. The Bible pictures that uh, tells us that because of the sin of Adam and Eve and of it, it's like the whole of creation uh, went wrong. God makes it, he's our creator, it's all good. And then it goes all wrong. Sin enters the world and everything's gone wrong. Not just us as individuals, but we live in a fallen world. Heaven was defiled. Earth was defiled. Our lives are defiled. God is still holy. And this picture of Aaron cleansing out the whole camp turns out to be actually just a copy, a picture of Jesus cleaning out the whole of heaven, the whole of creation. He's made everything right under him. He's reconciled all things. He's universally amazing. He's done the lot. He's bigger than we can possibly imagine. We're so grateful to him for, for you know, for he's forgiven my sin. 
the things I've done wrong, the things that I'm unclean for, but he's actually cleansed the world, the universe. It's there to be accessed for everybody. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign God. It's not a copy, it's the real thing. One day he's going to come back and claim it. One day it's going to be uh, redeemed fully, a new earth and a new heaven. Why? Because of him, because of the sacrifice, because he cleaned it out. And this atonement, as David atonement, it just begins to picture something of what Jesus has now gone on to picture for us. So we now get to the, uh, the scapegoat bit. So when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place to tend to meet in the altar, working his way out, he shall bring forward the live goat, which came up earlier. He is to lay uh, both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and to put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man uh, shall release it in the wilderness. So, now just to say, there are, are two really quite different understandings of what's going on with the scapegoat here. I'm just going to give you the one that essentially I think is more likely to be correct and seems to have more historic uh, trend to it. So, when you read this, it's even labelled scapegoat. Um, that's where the word comes from. You know, a scapegoat is someone that takes the blame for others when they didn't deserve it, isn't it? The reason it's a scapegoat, the reason we have scapegoat rather than scape rabbit or scape cockroach or something, is because of this passage. This is where it comes from. So, um, so one of the Bible translators many, many years ago, William Tyndale, from uh, from translating from the Hebrew, chose to use the Hebrew words and almost created this at the time, this slightly new word, scapegoat. So that's why it's in the language. It, this is actually the original scapegoat, the goat uh, that escapes with people's sin. It's interesting Aaron has to lay his hands on it twice, like both hands. Uh, sometimes other sacrifices, you only ever laid one hand on it. It just seems to imply the seriousness of this particular moment. It's like everything, all the sin. We've just cleared it all out, and then all the sin goes on this goat, and then we send it out the camp. And uh, for all that, can all these rituals are quite confusing, and what's that? But you can see this picture of we are getting rid of our sin. God is removing it from uh, from His presence, from us. It's no longer touching us anymore. And uh, some passages here of uh, what Jesus has done, truly, because of course it's all symbolic. So from Isaiah, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus didn't suffer for his own sin, we've said it again. He suffered because of our sin, he's become our scapegoat, if you like. God put our sin on him. And so now... As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his sins from us. You won't find them anymore if you're a Christian, okay? You come to Jesus, he's claimed your sin has been taken away. Even that picture, east is from west, it's interesting how we picture our world. If you went from north to south, and the way we picture the globe, you, you know the northernmost point, the southernmost point, you'd be able to find it again. It's that far away, north to south is that distant. Where's east and where's west? There's no measurement for it, it's gone. As far as east is from west, you just go round and round. God has removed our sin. It, we're, we're holy. We're holy people now. We're obviously called to live out like that. But if you're a Christian, Jesus' death has made us holy. Our sin is taken away. 
Okay, now we will skip some bits because, so verses 23 to 33, uh, they tidy everything up. So they have washes and cleanse and burn up the rest of the offering and all that sort of thing. But in verse 31, it just talks about how all the people were involved in this. It's the whole nation of Israel and they all had to participate by essentially having a Sabbath, a day of rest and fasting, denying themselves for that day. And that was part of the ritual. And you always get the sense of, so it couldn't just be Aaron just goes off and goes, all right, guys, I've sorted it. Now, there was a communal kind of, the whole people had to be behind this for this to work, if you like. Obviously, it's only symbolic. They had to be involved. It had to be like, we need our sin, our sin dealing with. We need our uncleanness being cleansed so that we can come before God. So everyone was involved. And then the last, this is the very last verse of, um, Leviticus chapter 16. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you because God is speaking all the way through this. God's saying this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites and it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So every year they had to go through this because every year the, uh, the most holy place, the holy place, the rest of the tabernacle, the camp, accumulated the uncleanness and the sin of the Israelites despite all the sacrifices being made every single day. A day of atonement would come around again and they'd have to go through it all again because it doesn't really work. And of course, again, it's just a picture. The book of Hebrews again picks up on it. Talking of Jesus, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. It is mission impossible accomplished. The thing that no one else could do, and Romans describes this, how one man accomplished it. What no one else could do to get people into the presence of God. The Old Testament phrase like, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may ascend his holy place? The New Testament says, without holiness, it's impossible to see the Lord. You can't get to him. He is a holy God. He's to be feared. He's awesome. But Jesus has made the way. He's done it. He's cleansed the true tabernacle. He's cleansed us truly, our consciences. And now, I say, the mission is accomplished. Uh, and we are able to worship God like we're doing this morning, weren't we? All because of him, all glory to Jesus. So just drawing out two, I mean, in some ways it's so obvious, two uh, things about for you. So one of the uh, commentators read, these rites, or the rites, so just remember, it teach that no person, however holy, can approach the presence of God without the appropriate atonement or covering being made for them and just say many of us in the room have known that and accept that but if you have not accepted what Jesus has done on the cross for you then you have to there is no other way for you to come before God it doesn't matter how good you think you've been how holy even if you don't use those words you think you maybe are compared to some of the people around you or uh, just because you feel particularly bad about some of the things you've wished you'd not done and you've said sorry but God is holy in a way that we can barely possible imagine. And the things you have done exclude you from his presence unless, and all the ritual ceremony stuff we've been reading, unless you allow Jesus to wash you with his blood, to accept him being your high priest. These are not words we use in 21st century language, but they fulfill this picture 
of what you have to do, of what you need to do to accept Jesus, to cleanse you, to change you, so that that veil is torn open for you, and you can then go into God's presence whenever you want. You are accepted. It is done. For you, it's the impossible mission. Jesus has done it. And a, a bit later on, just as we finish, if you want to accept Jesus today, if you want to give your life to him, then I'd love to see you do that. He would love to see you do it. He died for you. He's universal in scope, like I said. He's cleansed heaven. He's going to redeem the whole earth. It's there for everybody, but you have to step forward and accept it. You have to say, yes, I believe it. Yes, I want that. And a bit later on, uh, I'd love to see if, if you wanted to do that. And then for, for us uh, as a church, one of the I did mention it, one of the interesting things about the Day of Atonement, although it focuses on the high priest Aaron and obviously his acts as, uh, as the high priest and how he performs the rituals of the Day of Atonement, it really did involve all people. Uh, it really was that everybody had to be involved in, in this. It really created not just, if you like, uh, individual uh, cleansing for that Israelite and that Israelite and that Israelite and that Israelite. It created a holy people, if you like. Not perfectly, just symbolically. But it made a people that were God's people. And I talked about how what Jesus has done is universal on scale, not just individual. But it's not just people, persons, if you like. He's saying not just you and me. He saved a people. We are a holy people belonging to God. And all the way through the Old Testament, different places, God's saying, I will be your God, you will be my people. Now, he loves you, and he needed to forgive you for your sin, but now together we're saved, and it's like we all get to be a part of this. And so, now it's not the impossible mission for us to come before God, but rather because we've come before God, because he's done it, Jesus has given us a new mission, hasn't he? We're now to love him, we're to love each other and we're to go into the world and tell people that you can know God, that Jesus has made a way. And he's rescued a people to be on the earth now. Obviously, of course, not just City Hope. Every believer joined to every sort of church community uh, on the face of this earth to be a witness, to be salt and light for him. And there's this people that have been cleansed. We're a cleansed and holy people. And yes, there's a challenge that we live out of what God's made us. And we've got to encourage each other to keep doing that and following all of God's ways. But we are a holy people. And this is why we have a voice, if you like, to the world. We're not waiting for permission. We're not waiting for sort of people to accept us in that sense. He, the most holy high priest Jesus, has uh, saved us and has sent us. And we have a message now. However strongly you sort of feel it or don't feel it today or tomorrow, but you know what it is for Jesus to forgive your sin and you've got a message to tell people. And this is why as a church we want to be, in that sense, out there, not because of some great strategy of our own, not because uh, we think we've got all the answers in ourselves, but we just know he's changed us, don't we? And without Jesus, people can't get to know God. And this is the message we've got. And can I encourage you to be, in that sense, full of that message, full of that hope. Pasco early spoke about us being a people of hope. To tell people, you can know God. And in some ways, because it's a people thing, this is one of the reasons why we even, the local Sunday coming up, because it's not just us reaching out individually, it's us together as a church. And of course, we've been wrestling, thinking through, asking God what he's calling us to in terms of helping us as a church together be salt and light, if you like, more strongly, uh, more effectively 
uh, in the world around us, in sort of South London and beyond and stuff. And that's what Local Sunday in some ways is about, a test the water, that we've been three different locations, being salt and light together as God's holy people. And obviously not all about the Sunday meeting, but that from though that, and from our lives and me, we would spill out with this message and we would see many people accepting Jesus as their high priest, as their Lord and Saviour. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll finish there. Yeah, Jesus, there is so much to thank you for, yeah. Lord Jesus. There is so much, Lord, for all you've done. And Lord, we, we do just want to acknowledge you again and as we're in our hearts, just bow the knee before you. You are the perfect high priest. You are the perfect sacrifice. You're the one that has done what no one else could do. Lord Jesus, Lord, I, I just I do thank you for Leviticus 16, for that, that picture, all the, the rituals and the sacrifice, which is so odd in so many ways, and yet we see such a picture of all that you've done for us, Lord. And, and I just say, Lord, will you warm our hearts with it again? Will you help us fall in love with you afresh again, Lord Jesus? So grateful of what you've done. And Jesus, we say, fill us as your people, your now holy people, because of what you've done for us, Lord, to take that message of hope to those around us, Lord, the only way they can come for God. You are the way, Lord Jesus. You are the truth. You are the life, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you. We are uh, we're finished there. I say just before we sort of dismiss, get coffee, collect kids, can I say again, if you're, essentially if you know, if you're not a Christian and yet you want to know God, you want to be allowed into his presence, uh, then please come and speak to somebody today. Please accept Jesus today and what he's done for you on the cross. Uh, there'll be people here um, to pray down the front. If you came with anyone, you want to talk to them, please do that. Uh, and of course, as we finish, because Jesus has universally done everything, has made everything right, we believe in his power breaking in all manner of ways in life, don't we? Healing, provision. If there's any sense of need that you would love someone to pray for you for this morning, please come down the front. Uh, the ministry team will be available. And, uh, and we will see healings this morning, don't we? We'll see God answering prayers and provisions. So uh, please come, come down and get prayer if you want anything. Um, okay, great. Thank you very much. God bless. Uh, please collect your children and stay for tea and coffee.